Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Hillary. And this is the Probably Not Lupus podcast. Season two, we are back to discuss more medical mysteries and rare, strange, or unusual case studies. These are based on mostly true stories collected from our friends, medical history, journals, and fellow doctors. To protect privacy, names, dates, and locations may have been altered. Get ready for your medical mystery bolus. Probably Not Lupus is a show about our favorite medical mysteries. Nothing the hosts say should be taken for medical advice or opinion. We are not experts, nor are we journalists. It's just for fun. So enjoy. Welcome back for part two of our series on mom and baby. In part one, doctors couldn't figure out why a 42-year-old pregnant woman suffered from a stroke and failing kidneys. That is, until they realize it's her baby making her sick. Maternal mirror syndrome can be deadly if not treated in time, and the doctors race against the clock to diagnose the underlying cause and save both baby and mom. Listen now to part two of this week's Probably Not Lupus podcast and find out the outcome for both mom and baby. Hi, everyone. Hey. Thank you for coming back for part two of our two-part mom and baby episodes. So you have, you might've already figured out from episode 15 that our mom case was from house MD season three, episode 17 titled fetal position. Yes. As we've mentioned before, our podcast is titled probably not lupus in honor of house MD and Dr. Lisa Saunders, the medical doctor behind Dr. House MD, the fictional character who really helps to diagnose all these strange medical mysteries. And we're very inspired by her stories. Yes, we love Dr. Saunders. And for a quick recap of part one, a 42-year-old pregnant female presented to the emergency room after suffering a stroke and kidney failure. A team of doctors rigorously attempted to determine the root cause of her illness, but all five of their very probable and important DDXs or differentials were ruled out. That is until Dr. House saves the day as usual and discovers that mom is suffering from maternal mirror syndrome. Right. So as we mentioned, this is a fictional case. It is from House MD. But I do wonder if there is a real patient out there that this was based off of. Like maybe one of Dr. Lisa Sanders' medical mystery cases. Wouldn't that be neat? I would also love to know. So if you're out there, please reach out. We would love to talk to you. So the background of maternal mirror syndrome. Now, you might also have heard of this as Ballantine syndrome. And this is really due to a condition called hydrops fatalis. And this refers to an abnormal amount of fluid in at least two serous cavities. And serous cavities are places like in your abdomen, pleural effusions, which is uh, the cavity around your lungs, and pericardial effusions, which is fluid around your heart. And it's often associated with skin edema as well. So general fluid in your skin, maybe swelling in the ankles, puffiness. 
And multiple fetal anatomic and functional disorders can cause hydrops fatalis. So it's not just one thing that can lead to this condition. Many different things can cause hydrops fatalis. Sometimes it can lead to maternal mirror syndrome or John Ballantyne syndrome, which was discovered by a Scottish obstetrician and gynecologist named John William Ballantyne in 1894. They just love naming things after themselves, don't they? I mean, maybe it was named after him by another person in his honor. I'm not sure, but maybe. you know what? We're going to give him a little bit of credit because let's talk about our segment, Medicine. And normally this segment discusses sexism in healthcare, but today I actually want to give a shout out to an early advocate for equality in medicine. So Dr. Ballantyne, the person who discovered maternal mirror syndrome or Ballantyne syndrome, was a pioneer in the advancement of female professional training in the field of medicine. He taught female doctors, which during the late 19th century and early 20th century, not many people were doing and made major advances in the field of midwifery with influences really still felt today. He founded the science of antenatal pathology, and that's a fancy way of saying screening during pregnancy. So as You mentioned when you were talking about preeclampsia last episode, there are many tests, routine tests that pregnant people undergo to make sure that they and their unborn child are safe. And it was Dr. Ballantyne who first pioneered the importance of that care during that time. Previously, pregnant women needing hospitalization just went under the care of general practitioners and they weren't particularly ones that had experience in obstetrics. And after his teachings and his extensive ties to midwifery, he was able to figure out common conditions of pregnancy, things like preeclampsia, like you talked about, and he made a plea for maternity hospitals. And so this would be where obstetricians could study both normal and abnormal pregnancies. And eventually the first antenatal bed or pregnancy bed was opened in a hospital in Edinburgh. And this also led eventually to having more beds and other facilities dedicated specifically for pregnant women. So shout out to Dr. Ballantyne and his advocacy for midwives and women in medicine and the improved care of moms during pregnancy. Yeah, we'll take it. Thank you. As much as we love to boost women in medicine, we will take this and it's, he did good things. So that's, what's important. Absolutely. So we're going to get back to the case. There are so many different causes of hydrops fatalis, like Hillary talked about. The pathophysiology is poorly understood, but basically as the fetus is ill and displaying symptoms in utero, the mother mirrors these symptoms. Overall, there is dysregulation of fluid movement between spaces in the fetus, leading to a variety of symptoms. These symptoms can be varied due to different causes. Like a lot of uh, prenatal conditions, they may be discovered incidentally during standard prenatal ultrasound or during a workup for decreased fetal movement or abnormal results on routine testing. And rarely following early onset of maternal preeclampsia, i.e. mirror syndrome. For the mother, mirror syndrome can lead to many clinical presentations. Most commonly, like Hillary talked about, edema or swelling is usually present as this mirrors the edema of the fetus presenting with rapid weight gain in the mother, progressive shortness of breath, or similar to preeclampsia, which if you remember from episode 15, the team did a whole workup and actually ruled out preeclampsia for the mother. Right. 
A systematic review of reports on Mira syndrome noted that key maternal signs were edema in 80 to 100% of people, hypertension or high blood pressure in 57 to 78% and proteinuria or protein in your urine in 20 to 56% of people. So these are really significant numbers and really important to recognize you can't miss edema in a pregnant mother or hypertension or proteinuria. And the overall rate of fetal death is 56%. So making those signs even more important, knowing how high this death rate is. Wow. Yeah. More than half of the fetuses die whose mothers have maternal Mira syndrome. Exactly. So to diagnose this, the criteria is two or more of the following on ultrasound, ascites or fluid collection in spaces within the abdomen, pleural effusion, fluid collecting around the lungs, pericardial fusion, fluid around the heart, or skin edema, generalized swelling. So as you mentioned, the symptoms are often varied because hydrops fatalis has lots of different causes and they might be discovered incidentally, but to actually diagnose, we need to have two or more fluid filled spaces with abnormal fluid, basically. Exactly. Okay. So treating mirror syndrome uh, usually involves delivery. That's usually what's required to cure the mother's symptoms. Alternatively, interventions to cure or reverse fetal hydrops can also cure the mother, thereby allowing the pregnancy to continue. So I think they kind of have to look at what stage this is at and whether it is even safe to deliver yet or not. And what is causing the fetal hydrops? Is it something simple to correct or is it something more sinister that's hard to correct? Exactly. Prompt delivery is indicated even in fetal hydrops with a treatable cause. And this is because women with severe features of preeclampsia can deteriorate very rapidly. Right. So these decisions should be made on a case-by-case basis, taking into account the severity of the maternal condition. So how's mom doing? Exactly. As well as severity of the fetal condition. Right. And the potential for rapid resolution of fetal hydrops. So a lot of things to consider. Usually when we're talking about conditions that can be life or death, we're usually only talking about one individual. However, Mm -hmm. pregnancy is just a whole other ball game as you have two lives that both matter. Right. Two patients, not one. Exactly. So let's get back to the case at hand and find out what happened to the mother and the fetus. All right. So the doctors go back to inform mom that there is something wrong with the fetus and they need to figure out what so that they can actually make her better as well. Now, how are they going to diagnose a one pound fetus while it's still inside mom? Well, first they start with a new differential list and this time it's for the baby instead of for mom. The first thing they come up with is a tachyarrhythmia, also known as an abnormally fast heartbeat. And this could be due to a number of different pathologies. Uh, but luckily many of them are treatable or even curable. So that's on the list. Also fetal anemia. So that would be low blood iron in the fetus, which luckily for them also correctable, just got to deliver a little bit more iron to the fetus. Also something called a placental chorioangioma. This is also fixable and it's basically a tumor in the placenta. Now, these three things on the differential list are all something that they can potentially treat, but they also come up with some more sinister diagnoses that aren't fixable and have a much more serious prognosis. So one of those being trisomy 13, this is also known as Patau syndrome. This is a severe chromosomal disorder with multiple severe symptoms and 91% of infants die within the first year. 
So this would not be a indication of a curable or treatable condition. There's also something called Epstein anomaly. And this is a not so fixable congenital malformation of the heart. So it affects a specific chamber in the heart and it has varying prognosis depending on what is affected, but most of them are pretty bleak, pretty poor outcomes. The other thing on the list is a Galen vein aneurysm. And this is also a not so fixable fetal brain bleed. Uh, and it has a poor prognosis. Uh, it doesn't have to happen in a fetus, but if this particular brain bleed does happen in a fetus, it has a very poor prognosis. Now, as I mentioned, tachycardia or a high heart rate was the first on their list. And the doctors also agreed that the heart is the easiest to see and the easiest to fix on that differential list. So they start there and they order a fetal MRI to take a look. Only one problem. If you've ever had an MRI before, you might be aware or you might know that you need to sit still and you need to not be moving to get an accurate image in the MRI. Uh, but the problem is you can't really tell a fetus, hey, I need you to like hold still for 20 minutes while we take this image. Not really possible. Yeah, that can be quite challenging. As a, And as someone who's had an MRI, it's also not the most comfortable table to lay on or positions to be in as a pregnant person either. Not that I was pregnant, but you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And so to get an accurate image, they decide they're gonna have to do something risky, but necessary. And that is paralyze the fetus with medication. Oh my goodness. Yes. That really. sounds intense, but without this image, they will not be able to rule in or rule out a tachyarrhythmia as the cause of mom's symptoms and perhaps both mom and baby will die. So as mentioned in part one, Mom is not willing to terminate this pregnancy. This is very important to her. She's made that abundantly clear in all of her informed consent that aborting this pregnancy is not an option for her, even if it will save her life. That's a really, you know, heavy decision to make as a mother. If you have to pick, you know, do I carry on and pick my life and, you know, live without this child that could potentially pass away or do I, you know, choose the child's life and potentially risk my own, especially like we mentioned before, she's going to be a single mother and prepared for that. Then what happens? Mm. So a big decision. So although the MRI shows nothing wrong with the fetus's heart, they do find a blockage in the fetus's urinary tract. And this led to a large backup of urine in the bladder. And it was so large, in fact, that it was compressing the lungs and stunting their development. Oh, wow. Yeah. The good news though, they are able to do surgery to correct this problem. And hopefully if the fetus gets better, mom gets better too. So into the OR where a special team of surgeons perform the surgery while the fetus is still inside mom. So let me be clear. They are doing fetal surgery through pregnant belly truly amazing. What a medical advancement and breakthrough. Yeah. So they're basically able to like place a stent so that the urine can drain and the bladder can deflate and the lungs will now have more room to grow. And early on, it appears that the surgery is successful. The bladder does begin to decompress and the lungs now have more space to expand and develop. Happy news. We're all and around. I think it's just incredible that and something as simple as, you know, a small blocked urinary tract in something that's quite small at 20 weeks, one pound is causing all these problems. Yeah. Maternal mirror syndrome. 
this little blockage, this backup of fluid led to mom having symptoms. So the surgery was successful? Yes, but shortly after surgery, mom starts complaining about abdominal pain, new onset. And when the doctors come in to examine her abdominal pain, they also notice something else. Yellowing of the whites of her eyes, also known as icterus, which indicates liver failure. Oh, that's so unfortunate. The doctors run blood tests to confirm her liver is truly failing. Not only are mom's kidneys shutting down, but her liver is now also severely damaged. And although they can place her on dialysis to help with the kidney failure, there is no such procedure for liver failure and they need to make a decision fast. As if she hasn't already had to make enough decisions thus far and gone through a lot. Yeah. And sadly, with the progression of the maternal mirror syndrome and no diagnosis for the fetus, the team informs mom that the only way to save her is to deliver the fetus, which at now 21 weeks certainly will not survive, especially with its severely underdeveloped lungs. Mom again refuses medical abortion and determines she would rather die than abort her fetus. Either they can cure the fetus and save them both, or both mom and fetus die. Oof. Yeah. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to find out the outcome for mom and her unborn baby. Welcome back from the break. After suffering a stroke, kidney failure, and liver failure, all very serious things, 42-year-old mom is dying and her fetus is killing her, all via maternal mirror syndrome. The doctors now need to try and figure out what is wrong with mom's liver. They need to get a biopsy sample, but because her platelets are so low from the failing liver, Surgery will almost certainly kill her. She'll bleed out because these platelets are needed to clot blood. So anyone with um, who's on anticoagulants or has low platelet counts, surgery is high risk for any of those people. Yeah. And I mean, she's already so sick, multiple organs failing and no platelets. Yeah. Abdominal surgery to get a biopsy seems completely out of the question. So if they can't get a biopsy that way, what do they do? they are innovative. They take a different approach. So they do a transjugular hepatic biopsy. Have you ever heard of that one? Well, I mean, I wrote the script. So in that case, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just say no, Hillary. No, tell me more. So this is where instead of cutting directly through the abdomen, through the skin and getting to the liver, they come at it from the top down. They go through the jugular vein and they travel down and take a biopsy sample that way. So this pretty much allows her that even if she does bleed, at least she's bleeding right back into the jugular where it can stay in her system. Wow. So neat. Isn't that crazy? So (laughs) the whole situation is just taking a turn. And during the surgery, mom actually goes into preterm labor. Oh boy. Yeah. And she's still only 21 weeks pregnant. And just FYI, um, life outside of the womb is really only viable after 24 weeks uh, when the lungs are developed enough for a baby to breathe. 
So labor happens. They're able to use medications to stop her from contracting. But unfortunately, the liver biopsy sample is negative. And I say, unfortunately, because they almost wanted it to be positive to find something to be able to treat. Sometimes negative tests are more confusing than positive ones. And her fetus is still killing her and they still don't know why. So just a side note here, premature delivery is an expected response from the body in an attempt to save itself. So her body knows that this fetus is doing something to her and it needs to get out. So her body said, it's time to get it out and we're going into labor. As we mentioned, maternal mirror syndrome can be very deadly if untreated and it's happening now. And this is the body's natural mechanism to try and save the mother. Exactly. In a last ditch effort to find the underlying cause of fetal illness, the team decides to medicate the fetus with high doses of multiple rounds of corticosteroids. So what's, what's the plan here? The hope is that it will force faster development of the lungs. Like I said, not viable because of the lungs not being developed and so that they can better diagnose the problem. This is incredibly dangerous and high risk with many serious and deadly side effects, but they know if they can't diagnose and cure the fetus, they won't just lose the fetus, but they'll also lose mom. They have to make the fetus better, faster than the fetus is making mom sick. So really it's a race against the clock now. Right. So they give the multiple rounds of corticosteroids and what happens Mom suffers one of those deadly side effects, pulmonary edema or increased fluid in the lungs. And as you know, fluid should not be inside your lungs. No, this means mom can no longer breathe properly on her own and she needs to be intubated. So as if she did not have enough problems with her kidneys failing, her liver failing, now her lungs are failing. She has already made it abundantly clear that she does not want to abort the fetus. There is no family to ask for consent. So what do the doctors do? They sit, they wait, and they watch them both die. This is, I think, a really good time to bring up informed consent because in medical practice, it is so important that you honor whatever decision your patient makes. It's also very difficult. So these doctors literally couldn't do anything more. They had to watch this happen because that is what the mother chose. If you're using proper informed consent and you've laid out what the treatment entails, what the risks involved are, what the risks of not treating are, and the patient makes a decision based off of that, that's their decision. And yeah, it's not your position to judge them. Even if you think, oh, well, obviously I would just abort the fetus and then I'd live. And then maybe I could try to get pregnant again. Like totally, this just isn't it, but that's not, that's not this patient's decision. She's made up her mind that she doesn't want that. Yep. So that's what they do. They watch and they wait. Okay. But the fetus's lungs are growing. So although the liver's still failing and mom's on a respirator for her lungs and dialysis for the kidneys, They can see the lungs better now, but not quite good enough. So they take one more radical approach. They're going to do surgery again, but this time it's open fetal surgery. They will deliver the fetus via cesarean section, do an exploratory surgery on the lungs, and then replace the fetus for the remainder of the pregnancy. 
I don't think we need to get into the details of how dangerous open fetal surgery is. And in fact, there are only a few specialized centers in the whole world who are even equipped to perform such surgeries. I can imagine. So this last attempt, this final effort, this high-risk surgery, they do perform it. And they do find three well-defined lesions, which are diagnostic of something called congenital pulmonary airway malformation or CPAM, which are large medical words for the airway didn't develop properly. And this improper airway development can lead to fetal high drops in five to 40% of patients. And so this is what is causing the maternal mirror syndrome. And the good news is this airway malformation can be fixed during this very exploratory open fetal surgery. Now, of course, this is a house MD episode. This is highly fictionalized because as I mentioned, these surgeries do not happen easily. This isn't a treatment that's available for everyone. This isn't even available everywhere. You know, people have to be at the right place at the right time at the perfect specialized center to get this treatment. But in Hollywood, the surgery is a success. And although it was extremely risky and touch and go at times, the surgeon is able to fix the baby and keep mom alive. Wow. What a whirlwind. Absolutely. And of course, post-op baby is fine. And with the resolution of the fetal high drops and maternal mirror syndrome also improves. So mom's kidney, her liver and her lungs all begin to recover. And everyone lives happily ever after? Mom remains on bed rest for the remainder of her pregnancy and happy ending as baby gets to be born twice successfully. What a wild story. But you know what? It's funny because we say now in 2021, these, you know, fetal surgeries are so rare and only so many centers can do them. But if you think about like 50 years from now, this could be like a very normal and I don't say routine thing, but it can be, it's going to be a lot more common as more accessible and more accessible as, you know, we love, we love medical advancements and we love technology. So this is definitely, this is really interesting to see. So again, if you want to check out the episode that we built this two-part case series around, it is from season three, episode 17 of house MD. We will be back next. We'll be back. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for listening and we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to support our show, you can subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe even give us a rating and leave us a comment. Probably Not Lupus is written, recorded, edited, and produced by us alone, still in our bedrooms. If you want to chat with us, you can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Gmail at Probably Not Lupus.